0: Well, God bless you, Um, it's always a joy to preach here. I was sharing with the worship team yesterday how I can't explain it, I don't have words in English for it, I don't know what it is, but whenever I preach here, I feel a sense of freedom and joy, um, and even a kind of a peace in the spirit that I just don't feel anywhere else, and so it's, trust me, uh, I'm being blessed just by being here. And so today, the title of my message is Grave or Tree, and we are going to talk about forgiveness. You know, one of those subjects that on the surface of it sounds like a good idea, and then when you start digging into the scriptures and you see what Jesus says about forgiveness and what the Bible teaches us as Christians, I'm speaking to the children of God today, you realize within just a few minutes that it's one of those things that can make or break you. I noticed that when Chris prayed this morning, he did it yesterday as well. He said, Lord, I pray that you will give us what you want to give us, but also take away. And I noticed that last night, went back to the hotel, thought about that, I've literally in my whole life never heard somebody pray that before. And I pray that today Jesus is going to take away from me and from everyone here resentment, anger, frustration, disappointment, hurt, and replace it with healing, life, joy, and peace through his forgiveness and his enabling power. And so in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, we hear these words. And whenever you stand praying, or whenever you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses, Listen, these words are for people like us, most of us, who already have a relationship with Jesus. Wait, Lord, what are you saying? I'm saved. I mean, I'm going to heaven by the work of Jesus on the cross and His forgiveness of my sins. I have this incredible, immeasurable thing called salvation, this free gift By faith from you, what are you saying to me that if I don't forgive people like you forgave me, you're not gonna forgive me? What does that mean? Many times in my life, like I'm sure, I would assume all of us, if you're over the age of 20 anyway, or even 15, have been betrayed and deeply hurt by my family, some of you know I've shared a little bit about it. I'm going to talk about it in more depth today, particularly my relationship with my father, who for many, many years I hated because he was so violent and abusive and, and did so much damage to my brother and I and to my sister and to my mom. And then by teachers, I was molested when I was nine at school. Parents, I'm not saying you shouldn't trust any teacher, obviously there are those that you can. Make sure you know what the heck is going on with your kids. Always, everywhere, and make sure you have an honest and close enough relationship with them that they will tell you the minute anything, anybody does anything inappropriate with them because just a few weeks of of wrong stuff can do damage for years and years and years. And then again when I was in high school, when I was 15, I was in the military in South Africa. I had to go. I was conscripted. It was during the apartheid uh, era in South Africa. We were at war with every country on our border, and we had a civil war internally. Uh, It really was a case of you never took any day for granted. You didn't go to school or even drop your kids at school thinking, well, I'll see you this afternoon because you didn't know. But while I was in the military, uh, I also experienced the kind of, um, I don't know, it was more psychological and definitely physical abuse, Uh, and it was confusing because I'm like, I'm literally giving you two years of my life. Why are you treating me like this? Um, And then I've also been deeply, (laughs) deeply betrayed by some church leaders, you know. Um, Actually, most of the pastors that I've worked with or under have been real bananas, quite honestly. I mean, men of God who are trying their best, but then had parts to them that I learned more of what not to do than what to do, you know. And please don't get me wrong. Obviously, in my life, I have unconsciously and sometimes, unfortunately, consciously have also been a banana to others, isn't that a great word? You can apply it to anything. It's a very South African thing. You can either say, "Ah, oh, don't be such a banana, and, you know, let's watch the movie. Or you can say, don't be such a banana, you know. And you can associate whatever meaning you want. Um, and then also in the last seven, eight years being back in the business world, man. Have I encountered some bananas, capital B, drop shadow, underlined, <laughs> italicized, 120 font, crooks, the luxe. I literally worked for a con man for two and a half years, like a world class. I wanted to print a T-shirt, I, I wish I was joking, that said, I survived a real con man. Like these guys you see on TV, you know, who also claim to be a Christian. But here's the point of what I've just said to you. You know, in in every case, this kind of covers every arena of my life, but in every case, because I'm a Christian, I had to forgive, and I have forgiven every one of those people who's done damage to me. And you know why? Because God requires it of me. Because it's a commandment. We just read it in Mark, and we're going to see a few more verses where we are instructed to forgive those who harm us. It is a part of our Christian faith. When I didn't know Jesus, I was, uh, as a young man, very angry, very angry, always funny, wicked in my thoughts and some of my actions, But very angry. And the night that I was saved, that I gave my life to Christ, I was delivered of a spirit of anger. But when I was unsaved, I was filled with unforgiveness. I used to, friends, I'm I'm ashamed of it. Oh, not anymore. The Lord has forgiven me. I used to be ashamed of it and embarrassed to say, but now it's part of my testimony. It's necessary. It's a good thing. Uh, I used to, just to show the change Jesus has made in my life so completely and profoundly, I used to say publicly to my father, I hope you die today. I remember one time in front of one of his best friends saying, I hope when you step out into the street a car runs over you and they back over you three times to make sure you're dead and I'm not taking you to the funeral home and I'm not coming to the cemetery. And you know, obviously it really, really hurt him. Now look. In those days, I used to say he deserved that because in my mind, I really believed that. But not understanding as a parent myself how, how damaging that would be for your kid to say that to you. But the night that I was saved, I felt physically and definitely spiritually like a thousand tons had been lifted off my shoulders. I went from a very angry guy to the smiling kind of floating on air, the first few months of my salvation, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues two months later. God healed me of a back problem, you know. And in fact, so much so that my parents wanted me to see a psychologist because they thought that I was in a cult and that I'd been taken captive. And they sat me down one evening and was like, all right, what's happened to you? We actually prefer the old Lorenzo because he was more predictable, you know. That's the kind of change that Jesus brings into your life. In Matthew 6, verse 12, in the Lord's, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it's the disciples' prayer, right? Because the disciples came to Jesus and said, please will you teach us how to pray? I think it is a combination of two things. That they were used to seeing Him speaking to His Father and wanted to understand better like, what's happening there? Because whenever you speak to your Father, it's kind of you come down the mountain or if you're even just 100 feet away, when you come back to us, like, miracles happen. So we'd like some of that. And then part of it was them beginning to grow in their relationship with Him and understanding more and more the kingdom of God. And they just wanted a better understanding of what prayer actually is. And so Jesus, Teaches them this prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And he says these words, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, let's reverse that. As we have forgiven those who are indebted to us, so please, Lord will you forgive us? In other words, for the followers of Jesus, for those of us who are Christ followers, God has an expectation that as He forgave us, we read that starting off this morning, that in the same way, and by the way, you can only do it in His strength. I do believe it is impossible for a person without the power of the Holy Spirit in their life to properly and completely forgive. You can be unsaved and partly forgive, but to completely be free, only the power of God can make that real because only God went and died on the cross and actually took your sins and mine and forgave us. And it's that same Holy Spirit who enabled Jesus to do that who now dwells in us. And so it teaches us in the disciples' prayer that God has this expectation of us. So that's in the Gospels. When we come into the epistles, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Even for people who don't support the patriots, be kind <laughs> to one another. tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, you could take that line and spend the rest of the year trying to just grasp those words. As God in Christ forgave me, I must forgive those around me. The Bible teaches us clearly that forgiveness is not optional for Christians, but it's actually a commandment that is necessary for our spiritual growth as well as for living a peaceful and fulfilling life. If you are not free from unforgiveness, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to fulfill the calling that God has in your life and to live the kind of abundant life that Jesus speaks about. Because friends, forgiveness is life. It unlocks freedom and freshness in our spiritual life. When you've forgiven somebody genuinely and you've cried your tears or even if you haven't, but don't you feel that freshness? It introduces new life into yours. It enables new power. The Holy Spirit invades you and flows through you. It allows God's anointing to move through you so freely. And I don't know about you, but when I forgive somebody, I instantly feel drawn closer to the Lord. And I know now what that is. It's because I've just behaved like who he is. I've just become a little bit more like Jesus. And so my spirit is able to commune with his that much more easily. I also believe that forgiveness, because it's Christ-likeness, attracts the presence and the favor of God. Right, isn't that beautiful? Thank you. I imagine God in heaven going, ooh, I just, she just forgave. I wanna be with her, he just, oh, what happened there? Let's go find out. I imagine your angels throwing a bit of a party, forgiveness, or whatever. I just made that up. That's just terrible. But you know what I mean. You get the picture. And then this is what I love most about it is that forgiveness gives me the courage to obey again. And then it builds my trust in God because he promised me that if I forgive others, he will forgive me. And I've recently, just in the last three or four months, been using this beautiful phrase that God has given me personally. But I'd love to share this, any opportunity I have. I want to feel the pleasure of the Father. And when I forgive somebody, I feel the pleasure of God. I feel the smile of God upon me. I sense the joy of the Lord. And I feel Him you know, kind of hugging me and like, my child, I'm so proud of you. Because when we forgive, we are being like Jesus and nothing pleases the Father more than us being Christ-like. Forgiveness starts as an act of obedience and then grows bit by bit into a life of love. Let me say that again. Every act of obedience, every forgiveness, every time you forgive, starts with an act of obedience, and we're gonna talk about that practically, how to do that. But then it begins to grow and grow and grow, eventually where you find yourself living a life of love. And my friends, what is the ultimate goal of every Christian on the face of the earth? To obey the great commandment which is to love the Lord your God with all of you and at the same time to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize that if we as a country, we as a church, we as a family, only got those two things right, it would completely revolutionize our culture, our politics, our family life, our educational system, everything. So I want to tell you a story of where this message for me harks back to. I was 22, 23. I'd met the love of my life, Delray. We knew within 10, 12 days that we wanted to get married and be together. But in this time of war in South Africa, it was a Friday evening. I remember exactly where I was. I can smell the smells, feel the feelings, never forget it. And this Afrikaans, this Dutch newsreader came on at nine o'clock and said, by decree of the president under the emergency laws, kind of like South Africa's version of the Patriot Act, but more extreme, Uh, A decree has been issued that if you are under 25 and have lived in South Africa, because I wasn't born there, but I was a citizen, and have lived there for five years or more, you have to go to the army. And in those days, you served for two years. After you two years, you did two months for another 12 years. And until you were 52, you did two weeks a year. And so it was a hangover commitment. And you had 90 days to decide to either be conscripted and go and surrender your life for two years. I already had, you know, I had finished college, I just started working. Um, Or you had to leave the country, surrender your passport, surrender your citizenship, and you could never, ever come back again. So I prayed and fasted, prayed and fasted, got advice from lots of people. And eventually the Lord just said to me, Trust me, go. Anyway, I went into the military. So because we were at war with every country on our borders and internally, we all in high school and even in college, we all had lost friends, young men, like for you in Vietnam in the 60s and 70s, where the average age of your soldiers was 19, for us, the average age of soldiers dying was 19, 20 as well. Um, and the country was outstanding at propaganda, so we only found out years afterwards how many people were dying. We just knew that Paul went and never came home again. And so, uh, anyway, I, you know, you understood that when you were in the army, if you were posted to the border or one of the townships where there was a civil war happening, there was a, a 50-50 chance that you were not going to come back. So, I write this letter to my parents. Really, it was for my dad. And I, forg- I forgive them. I say, you know, it was like three pages long, and I scribbled it out one night. Because we used to get like four hours sleep a night. You're exhausted, all that good stuff. And I wrote, and I send it to them the second week that I'm there. Because we knew that after six weeks, you would get a phone call for two minutes. After six weeks. Okay. Anyway, write the letter, send it off. I forgive you, please forgive me. I don't know what's gonna happen, you know, but I don't hold anything against you. And I was still, although I was saved, I was still very angry towards my dad, okay? Because he was like a bunch of bananas. Anyway, never said that before. Thank you, Waters Church. You bring out the best in me. Anyway, get the phone call. Come on, my mom comes on. Hey mom, how's it going? Dad comes on, short little, uh, you know, aggressive Italian guy. Guess what his first question is? How's the food? Well, it's terrible because my mother the, was the best cook in the world. So I'm, what am I? I'm like, really? That's what you want to know? So then halfway through, after about a minute, I'm not making any of this up, this lieutenant comes and starts screaming in my ear, get off the phone. You know, it's, it's the next guy's turn, etc. And I turn to him. Man, I, I I'm not a violent person. I want to clobber this guy because I'm i my next question was, Did you get the letter? And my dad goes, Yeah. And I said, Well, did you read it? Yeah. And then the lieutenant takes the phone and just hangs it up. I was so so, friends, it takes a lot for me to get angry. I was so angry and so upset. I go and I find a little corner in, the, in, the, in that camp, in that boot camp, and I, I wept. I mean, I didn't just cry. I was so angry, it more at my father and my parents. I was like, because in my heart, I was like, I could be posted to the border and never, and really, the last thing you said to me was that you read it, but, because I was, I was saying to them, what I was hoping for was that they would say, yes, we read it and we forgive you too. And anyway, as I'm crying, there's a moment of quiet and as clearly as I'm talking to you this morning, the Holy Spirit whispers to me, just gently but clearly, Lorenzo, why are you expecting unsaved, ungodly people who don't know me and don't know my word, to behave like Christians. And I was like, And then this changed my life. The Spirit says to me, you're born again, you're filled with me, you go first. You go first. You forgive them. And the Lord literally gave me this instruction. And I was aware that it was Jesus speaking to me. And he said this, say out loud where you are now. I was actually on my knees in the dirt. I forgive you, dad, and name him. And I forgive you, mom, and name her. And I just did that. And I can't explain it to you. It's one of those spiritual mysteries, which I'm sure in heaven, I'll find out how this works one day. But it was absolutely gorgeous and I felt this weight lift. It was similar to the night that I was saved a few years earlier. And I I had this understanding that by being obedient and doing the right thing according to the Scripture and forgiving them, that legally, in the Spirit, I had forgiven my Father. Now, it took me three and a half years for my feelings to catch up with that spiritual act. Because you know, forgiveness, especially when there's been a lot of damage done, is a process, right? It takes time. Letting go of resentment and anger and stuff, by the way, that you either had learned to live with or that you had pushed under so deeply And that the Lord, very carefully, like a perfect surgeon, when you're ready, says, okay, let's fix this part. Okay, let's fix that part. I found that God doesn't always just fix everything all at once. Because we wouldn't know what to do with it. He takes, let's deal with those thoughts. Let's deal with those feelings. Let's deal with this person. Let's deal with that experience. And so... I've titled this message Grave or Tree because to me, unforgiveness is like an open grave. It's not a grave that you're in and you're in the coffin and the lid is closed and you're dead and gone. It's like a grave that you live in that you could escape out of if you really wanted to, but you know what? You're in this place that's half death and half life And you feel held back, and you can't quite do the things that you really want to do, and it's very frustrating, and it keeps you in the cycle of anger and resentment and frustration. Then you have moments of hope, and then you think you're going to get out of this thing, and then you find yourself just back in it again. But in complete contrast and totally opposite, and it's underground, so to speak, Forgiveness is like a, a tree of life that's growing and it's healthy and it's full of fruit and that's actually giving sustenance to so many others because it's so alive and it's above ground. In Mark 11:25-26, right, the scripture that we started with. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, and listen. If you live in this world, there's a really good chance you've got something against someone, right? Forgiveness is not a one-time thing, especially where there's been deep hurt. Forgive him that your Father may also forgive you. To me, unforgiveness is having negative feelings towards this person who's hurt you, and it manifests in anger or bitterness, sarcasm, impatience, sometimes cynicism, often doubt or lack of trust, fear, suspicion, that was me, and even arrogance. I don't know, you're the one who hurt me, I don't have, I'm better than you. It's basically a refusal to grant pardon or to grant amnesty. But you know the truth is that unforgiveness, so often, more than often, impacts the person who holds it more than the person who's caused the damage. It's like a whole second and third and fourth layer of hurt except that now it's self-afflicted. I know as a pastor of many years, forget that, as a human being of, of, more years than I'd like to admit of many years, that if forgiveness is left unresolved, it can lead to emotional and psychological and spiritual problems. It can lead to depression or anxiety and definitely to fear. If you have, if you're sitting here this morning, you're watching online and you have any of the feelings that I've mentioned, there's a chance, there's probably a good chance that there's some kind of unforgiveness in your heart. And I'm here to say to you today, uh, stop living in a grave. Let Jesus get you out of that grave by the power of his Holy Spirit because he's got better things for you to do. He's got a life for you to live. He's got ministry for you to do in his strength, in his love, and in his joy. Amen. He has an abundant life for you and the key to getting into that life is forgiveness. So unforgiveness always involves three people. The other person who's hurt you, God, and yourself. So you're saying to the other person, when you choose to, unforge- to, not, to not forgive them, I won't release you. I'm holding on to you through this thing. You're saying to God, I won't obey you. As a child of yours, you've commanded me to forgive, but I choose not to. And you say to yourself, I don't want freedom, I don't want peace, I don't want joy. I choose to stay in my prison. Forgiveness is a tree of life, and that's my message today. Luke 17 verses 3 and 4. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And by the way, yes, there's another verse that I would parallel with this. Speak the truth in love. In love. The Bible doesn't say that anger is a sin. You can be angry when somebody has hurt you. It just says don't sin in your anger. So you can rebuke somebody who sins against you. Here's the the kicker though. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So right now, how many wives just nudged their husbands and said, I hope you're listening to this, bro? (laughs) Because we haven't even had breakfast yet and you're already at number five. Forgiveness is literally, in the legal sense, but also in the spiritual sense, the act of pardoning an offender, literally giving pardon to someone who's offended you. It's the process of letting go of anger, letting go of resentment, and most of all, letting go of the desire for revenge against the person who's wronged you. In fact, some of it, or part of the goal of it, is even to get you to a place where you can even have compassion and understanding toward the person who's wronged you. That's happened to me so many times. My f- parents sent me to Italy when I was 19, right at the height of my hatred towards my father, to spend a time with with his family in Italy, I was bringing them over some money and I spent a month with his mom and his sister. They're both dead now. I remember coming coming back to South Africa and at the airport, saw my parents, you know, and I greeted them and then I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, you are such an, you're an angel. And he was, what, 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 you know? And I said, compared to your mom and your sister, you're an angel. (laughs) Now, the irony is that my father had been so badly treated by his mother, but had this psycho kind of relationship with her. Maybe you have family members or relatives or friends like this, where he was still afraid of her, even into his 50s and 60s, and dared not say a word against her. Everybody else in his life was like, she's literally psycho. She's horrible. She's like, don't eat the soup kind of person, you know? I only saw her four times in my life and it was enough. I literally would not let our kids ever meet my father's relatives because they were that broken and that mean. And when I was younger, I didn't understand where it was coming from. But after meeting his family in his village, I began to feel a bit of compassion towards my dad because they would gladly and openly talk about the times when they used to beat him. Like on his 20th birthday, he was supposed to be home at midnight and he came home at 20 past. So the next morning, my grandma or, served him breakfast and then broke the big wooden spoon that they used to make polenta. You know, the, those of you who are Italian or Spanish, you know what I'm talking about broke it over his head and cut his head open. and He was bleeding and had to have stitches. Happy birthday, Dad. So when I said to him, you're an angel, then he was so angry with me because, you know, he said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, no, your mother's psycho. She's crazy. Like, compared to her, you're normal, you know. Anyway, he didn't get the joke. I, I meant it, too. Um, but forgiveness, like unforgiveness, also involves three people. You and God and the other person. What you're saying to God is this. It's beautiful. Lord, I believe you when you say that if I forgive, you will forgive me. There's a powerful word here. Because when you've been hurt, what's the thing that you lose that is most precious? Trust. It's very difficult, sometimes impossible to trust those who've really hurt you, right? It's like whatever they say, you just don't believe them. And so when you do forgive and you experience God's forgiveness, and you're saying when you you give forgiveness, you're saying to the Lord, I believe you and I trust you that your kingdom works this way, that if I obey your command, you will fix me. And I am living testimony, as I'm sure many of you are, to the fact that that's absolutely true. You're saying to the other person, I free you. Be free. No more chains. There's no revenge in my heart. I'm not going to come after you. You don't have to look over your shoulder. You know what? When you still keep doing your stuff, I'm not going to talk back. I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm free. I want you to be free. And you're saying to yourself, I'm getting up out of that grave. And I'm going to become a tree of life like Jesus. I'm going to become a source of life and of joy and of peace for others. All right, so let's bring this to a close. How do you and I actually forgive somebody? And I'm going to share a few things that have worked for me and that have worked for many others that I've known over the years And I hope that at least two or three of these are things that you can take home and today that you can put into practice. The first thing is like happened that evening in the boot camp, is you've gotta make a decision to forgive. You know how love is a choice? You know that saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? In the kingdom of God, you can choose your savior because he's chosen you, but you can't choose his commands. We've gotta be obedient to all of them. And so I, and you have to make a decision to forgive regardless of our feelings. And when we do the right thing, I promise you, I'm living proof of it, God will make sure as he heals you that your feelings will catch up with the spiritual act that you took, that act of obedience. Decide to let go of those negative feelings. How it worked for me is that, because you know, for those three and a half years after I'd forgiven my dad, you know, I mean, I'd, we'd get on the phone or when I'd get some leave and I'd fly down to Cape Town and see him, and he was still him. So he'd still be his racist, mean-spirited, rude to my mom's self, and those feelings would immediately boil to the surface. And what I learned to do was to shut my mouth and not immediately say something, but to remember that I'd forgiven him, ask the Holy Spirit for his strength to help me to control my emotions but I would do what the Scripture says is rebuke those who sin against you. And so I would calmly say to my dad, Dad, no. None of that language. Friends, when my daughter was nine months old, I walk out of the kitchen into our lounge and he's giving her beer. And he thought nothing of it. You know, he really isn't an evil guy. And I was like, what are you doing? Whoa, what's wrong? She wanted. I'm like, she's nine months old. Of course she wants. She was standing up against a little table. And so she got a bit of a fright. I didn't even raise my voice, but I pulled him aside. afterwards. I said, Dad, if you ever do that again, you just can't be around her. I'm your father. How dare you speak to me like this? Well, guess what? Two days later, same scenario, except this time he's giving her red wine. So I was, you know, my feelings got a little bit better. And so I immediately, I dragged him. I took him outside. I said, what did I say to you the other day? Yeah, but it's just, you know, because in his mind, it was like, my son's not going to tell me what to do. And I said to him, I calmed down right away. And I said, listen, I went like this. I said, look at me. If you do that one more time, you will not be around your granddaughter. You know what, before they left, he apologized. He was like, you're right, because when my mother found out, I mean, we heard her screaming at him from three rooms away. (laughs) God bless moms. (laughs) But I learned even in that experience that it's a process. I didn't have to raise my voice. I didn't have to shout at him. I didn't have to react like I would have a few years before, but I also didn't just have to accept the wrong behavior just because he's a family member. Does that make sense? And secondly, I would say, you know, acknowledge your feelings. It's so important. I know as a Christian in my early days, I used to get so confused because I once heard a preacher say, well, you know, if you forgive somebody, you've got to forget. I don't agree with that at all. How can you forget abuse that happened to you as a nine-year-old? I haven't forgotten that activity. I tell you what I have completely forgotten is any anger, resentment, feelings of, of hurt or whatever. The Lord has delivered me and freed me of those what the memory does is teach me to not be in that situation again. What the forgiveness does is deliver me from the bondage that that could have kept me in for the rest of my life. And so it took me years, especially as a Christian, you know, because you're just supposed to love everybody. And it's okay, it's normal, and you should, when stuff has been done to you that's completely unjust and unrighteous. It's okay to feel feelings of anger. It's not okay to sin in your anger. And then just let go of blame and the need for revenge. Because you know what, especially when you're dealing with mean people, they get a pleasure out of you being upset. Manipulative, hurtful people want a reaction. And when you give them permission, to take control of your emotions, they feel like they've won the jackpot. And so it's important to, when you let go of the blame and you give your need for revenge to God, because what does the scripture say? God says, vengeance is the Lord's. And listen, as a father and a grandfather, three times over, by the way, two more since we last... Met each other, glory to God. Tell me there isn't a God in heaven. Grandkids are phenomenal, right? Hello Caden. He's watching my four year old grandson. As a father and grandfather, I gotta tell you, I whew, Let me not say what I was gonna say. What the heck? Let me say it. It's Waters Church. If somebody hurt one of my grown kids, especially my grandkids, you know, there's a part of me that wants to like do do real damage it's natural it's natural and only by the power and the strength of the holy spirit am i able to overcome those those impulses right and it's the same with the need for revenge let it go give it to god my point i was going to make sorry i've just remembered is that as much as we are looking out for our kids god is looking out for us too and then, as I was sharing that story with my dad, you know, find a way to practice empathy and just try to, for a moment, understand, by God's grace, and you need God's help with this, what, where that hurts that's being given is coming from. And this is what my counsel would be, or my advice would be. If it's coming purely from a place of meanness, sadism, deal with it that way. You're a horrible person. I don't have to be in your company, and you certainly don't need to be in mine, especially where kids are involved. Leave my house. If it's coming from a place where that person has been damaged, we can be the bigger person. Still rebuke those who sin against you. Speak the truth in love. But at the same time, the flip side of that coin can be a prayer like this. Lord, if you have entrusted me with this struggle because you want to use me as an agent of healing, give me your wisdom and your strength to do that. And you'll see what I mean in a couple of minutes. And then remember that, you know, forgiveness is a process. So I think it's a healthy practice to daily do a forgiveness checkup. I do this every night when I, I really do, every night when I go to sleep. Lord, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Because God forbid, I don't want to be in my sleep and, and die in my sleep, stand before the Father. Oh, welcome, my son. Uh, anyway, there's like seven people that you didn't forgive <laughs> that you should have. You know, this is not a, uh, a works thing I'm talking about. It's just a good practice to make sure that your heart is clear before the Lord, because it's really about your walk with the Lord more than anything else. And then I would encourage you also to be a quick forgiver. Make sure that the devil can't get his claws into you, that when harm is done to you, forgive the person. Remember what I said earlier, if somebody's abusing you, get out of the situation. You don't have to stay in it. We aren't pawns. You know, we aren't just whatever, on a checkerboard, pawns to be moved around. Uh, we, don't, we aren't people's playthings. But be a quick forgiver because it makes sure that nothing can take root, that you don't get a root of bitterness in you. And then also, flip side, be a quick repenter. When you've caused harm, you repent to God and ask forgiveness of the person that you've hurt. You know, from time to time, my wife and I, and praise the Lord, in December this year, we're, the Lord willing, we'll be married 38 years, and and we get on really, really, really well. Obviously, we've had differences and all that good stuff. She's not as good as me, and, you know, I've learned <laughs> to live with it. No, the opposite is true. I've married super way up. You know that. Any of you who've met her. But, I love to say what I'm going to say now, and maybe this is the thing that's going to help most of you. You cannot take two sinful human beings, and a saint is nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. We're still sinners. You can't take two sinful human beings in this broken world, put them in each other's space for decades, and really expect that there aren't going to be problems somewhere along the way. Three times, three times, I've had couples in my office as a pastor who said to me, we never fight. Every time it's been the man who said it, every time the woman looks like death warmed up, and every time I've sat there thinking, I've spent an hour and a half with you, and dude, if I was her, I would run out of this marriage because you are such a banana. There's no fighting because one is so controlling over the other. No fighting doesn't mean that there's love and acceptance and all that good stuff. And so let me finish with this. You know, my father got saved two months before he died. And he, in his 70s, he had his first stroke when he was 52, another one in his 60s, and then two in quick succession in his early 70s and he became paralyzed all the way down his left side and even the left side of his face and one day i got a call from my sister and she said the doctor said if you want to see dad alive they lived in south africa in cape town you need to come now and i did and uh, i nursed him for 10 days Um, before I flew home we got him into a nursing home into the place that eventually became the place where he moved on from this earth and you know this is my testimony that the man that I genuinely wished dead when I was 20 at the end of his life I was feeding a pea at a time I'll never forget this on my dying day and I the pea pee he couldn't get in his mouth and you'd see the look of embarrassment come in his face and I'd say it's okay there it's okay and I'd get the pee and we would try again and he asked me to read the Bible to him in Italian and out of his eye that was open he's crying it was deeply deeply moving but this is my memory from those 13 days taking him in the wheelchair out into the sunshine It was a beautiful day. There was such a sense of peace and I was marveling in my heart. I was literally thanking God. I was saying, Lord, only you could do this because I felt such a deep love towards You and I'd completely forgiven him. We'd forgiven each other. We talked about it several times and here I am with my dad and he gestures like this to me and as I put my ear by his mouth, He says, I love you, my boy, I love you, my boy. Those were the last words my father ever said to me on this earth. He died six weeks later. So I'm here as living proof and as testimony of the fact that forgiveness is necessary and forgiveness works. And I beg you, if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone, Today, forgive them regardless of the emotion and the Lord will take you on a journey that will bring you to a place where you are no longer in a grave, but that He makes you a tree of life. Amen.